Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Jen. We're just two run-of-the-mill casting directors looking to have a little fun while tearing down the curtain on casting, the process, and how the sausage gets made. So many misconceptions have come from outside sources, so we're here to clear the air and make sure everyone gets a full picture of all that goes into casting your favorite TV shows and films. All the while, we'll be drinking some amazing cocktails and spilling the tea on some of the most outrageous stories we've come across in our careers. Maybe we'll even bring on a few exciting guests along the way. Cheers! Cheers! Good morning. Good evening. Welcome back to Tipsy Casting. I'm Jess and this is my co-host Jen. Thank you all for tuning in again. We're excited to talk to you about another very important relationship casting has, which is our connection with producers. So let's dive in. What are you drinking today, Jen? I am going for a Cosmo. Oh. I put too much cranberry in it. I put way too much cranberry in it. So... (laughs) We need to bring on that mixologist. Yeah, that would be. We'll, we'll figure that one out. What do you got for me today? You know, it's morning, so I have gone back to coffee. Did a little bit of a twist on it. So I love tealing single batch whiskey. Irish whiskey. And it is, it's got a little bit of a sweetness to it. So I put some of that in my coffee along with a bit of Kahlua. Ooh, very nice. So, I mean, I feel like I have to really explore all the coffee-based drinks. The more episodes get in, we'll move them later. I can stay up later at night. So you can have more logical drinking time. I feel like I need to get like a proper cocktail kit, like the shakers and everything, because I probably should explore like an espresso martini at a certain point Ooh, you know I, mean, yes. I right now don't have the tools for any of the things and so I improvise <laughs> but I think as as time goes I will invest in the right accoutrement yeah yeah I agree I'm, I'm sure listeners don't know but you know I haven't moved into a flat yet here in London so as soon as I get into my place next week and I get a bar set up I could actually do a little bit little bit more with my stuff than like picking and choosing and trying to find things that work. So you put that drink together very quickly. So I'm impressed. It's like so red. It's like, I don't know. I haven't even tried it yet. Oh my goodness. That's funny. Also just something about like, we have our YouTube channel now. So if people listening are interested in also seeing us while we talk, you can subscribe. Please subscribe. We would love that. It's all available on our website. So check us out there. But yeah, so let's talk about producers. You know, it's such an important relationship for us to have. And I think the best way to do it is to maybe start with Is there a particular experience that you had that stands out as being a favorite or a really positive experience? And why was it so positive? Like what made the qualities of that relationship such an impact on your career, essentially? Yeah, I have one producer that I absolutely adore and I'm hoping he'll come on the podcast at some point. But it was early on when I first started my own company And I was given a script for a movie called Alice that premiered at Sundance last year. When I first got brought on, it was being co-prod between two different production companies. But it ultimately ended up one of the companies dropped out and it ended up being with this amazing producer, Peter Lawson at Steel Springs Pictures. 
And Peter and I, it was one of those things where I remember going into the initial meeting with like my casting ideas ready to go and kind of, and I was so passionate about the script because I had read the script about a month prior and it took a while for them to get on and get going and stuff with it. And it was a script that I just, I had no financing at the time. And so it was like really from the ground up. And I went in with my ideas. I just remember sitting in that meeting and he was doing that thing where I was talking and he was just like, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I think he's on the same page. You know, <laughs> like I feel like my ideas are really clicking with him. And Alice ended up being one of our COVID movies because it took probably a year to get our two leads attached. And through that whole time, it was such a lovely experience because I felt like a very mutual respect between the two of us. Or sometimes, you know, producers can be a bit more demanding or just like, you do this, you do this. I don't like that idea, you know. But he actually like always cared about why I liked an idea, why I liked a certain actor or actress. And so I always felt no matter what, that he respected my opinion. And all the way through shooting, because on that movie, since it was a COVID movie and our budget was quite small, I offer every now and again, I'll offer to do the local casting in the South, just because I know so much about the actors and agents down there still. So I cast the entire film even through local casting, he was always like, well, who do you like, Jen? Tell me, like, let's have a conversation. Let's go through this whole, you know, there was never just a like, yes, no. You know, there was a very much, he's a casting director's producer. So I absolutely loved working with him. And I I hope that we get to do many, many more projects in the future together. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think that, you know, it's such a rare experience. That's why it's so valuable when it is that magical. What about you? Yeah, I had a lot of really wonderful producers in my in my 13 years. When I was an associate turned co-casting director, I was working on Bates Motel. It's a series that I hold so dear to me because it was such a collaborative environment. The co-showrunners were Carlton Cuse and Carrie Aaron. And Carrie was more sort of like the day-to-day. She was in the office with the writers. And Carlton was involved, but, you know, he was working on a couple other shows at the same time. And Carrie, she's just has such an incredible energy, creating such a collaborative and safe environment. And it was so wonderful for me because when I got to the point where I was essentially running point on the show from the casting side, I would send selects. And, you know, for those who don't know the process for casting... You know, we we sort of narrowed the choices down of the actors that we think did a great job on their auditions or are really well suited for the role. And then we send a selects to our creative team, which usually includes the showrunner, the director of the episode, sometimes the writer of the episode, depending on what kind of space it is, and the line producer and any like casting counterparts we might have. And every time I'd sent those selects to the team, I would get a text from Carrie the end of the day being like, who are your favorites? Why do you respond to them? Even if they don't end up going in that direction, it was always a really open conversation. Again, it happened so infrequently, especially on the TV side, I think, that it was such a beautiful experience. And it gave me an opportunity to fight for actors, you know? And I think that that is so important because even when something wasn't working with a specific actor, being able to have that conversation as to why it's not working and getting the feedback was so incredible to be able to then go back to that same actor that you're so passionate about and bring them back in and say, you know what, they're missing these qualities. Let's find a way to bring them in. So most of the time it would work out, you know, that, that that actor would book it. And so having that energy and that way of collaboration is so positive and like instrumental, I think, to the casting process. So 
I mean, I, I've been very lucky to have a number of those experiences now, but it was very pivotal to me within my journey as a casting director and, and being comfortable to speak my mind. And so, you know, I'll always hold that experience closely. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing when you come across those producers who are willing to give you your voice, especially earlier in your career. Because again, yeah, I've had a couple experiences where before going out on my own, where producers were very supportive of like having a conversation and, you know, giving that feedback. So that's really cool that you got that so early on. Yeah. And I, and I guess also to just educate people who are listening, producers are also most of the time how we get our jobs. I have found that they have more control in the film side of things than they do in TV. Yeah, I agree. Those relationships are so valuable to us that, you know, we especially when it's so good, we want to hold on for dear life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I agree, especially in the indie space. I think that's, I think producers are always the first to really jump on board and get us our jobs and, you know, reach out. And again, it's like so invaluable to us because I know you and I both kind of work in the indie space right now. And having those producers who actually are one willing to take a shot on you, but also that are, even though you are younger, newer, like they're willing to like have this conversation and have the respect of like, oh, she's worked really hard to form these opinions and know these people and know what's happening out in, in the universe, you know? Yeah. I'm just sitting here trying to think of like just more experiences of really supportive producers that, you know, and I think it hasn't just happened on the indie side. You know, I think uh, when I was working on The Force Awakens, we had two great producers. We had Brian Burke and, and Tommy Harper and Tommy was like the boots on the ground and Brian was within Bad Robot at the time. We were struggling so hard on that film to find the two leads. I mean, we found Daisy before anybody else because it was a really long experience. I think we were contracted for 10 weeks and we were on it for 11 months. You know, we got to the point when we were looking for Finn for John Boyega's character, like we had seen John early in the process and he came back around as that usually happens. But it was one of those things where like Brian called us like every day being like, how can I help? What do you need? What, you know, how can I support you? And to have that is so, especially on such a massive scale was so, so wonderful to know you had that, you know? Yeah. Honestly, as you drink from your Star Wars cup, I love it. Uh, <laughs> very apropos. Um, <laughs> yes. I think it's something where, again, I think that it can span a bunch of different, you know, you can have your good, your bad, your ugly, but it also spans like I think it's one of the longest relationships that casting has is with producers in terms of like the span of a project, because even as much as directors are involved, sometimes you don't have a director who is that involved and it's usually the producer kind of pushing or even after you start shooting and you're still casting some certain things, it's the producer who's usually kind of pushing that ball along with you. And so it's always great to have somebody who's like willing to be in the whole process the whole time, day in, day out. Because I know, you know, again, producers do everything. They watch over every head of department. So like they can easily put casting off. You know, they're like, oh, I got to do this meeting. I got, you know, I got to deal with this, 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 this. I've gotten lucky as well, where I've had quite a few lovely experiences with producers who literally call me every day, even if they don't need to. No. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure you have a version of this too, but you, when you finish a project or you're getting close to the end, there's a little bit of a withdrawal experience of yeah. relationships. 
from like full and yeah. text with these directors every day. I'm not going to text with the producer every day. What's going to happen? <laughs> I know. And I think it's so funny because we joke that casting's the first on, first off, first forgotten. And so it's funny because when they get on set and like producers will text me, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes producers will text me and be like, oh, so-and-so's on set today and they're doing great. Or things are going wonderful. And I'm like, thank you for the update. (laughs) We never hear, you know, and it's just, it's fascinating to me because I think that like for them to look at whatever's happening on set and think back to two months prior to when we were sitting in sessions or discussing a certain character and why they are right. And then remember and be like, thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jess. You know, (laughs) they're really killing it today. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but there have been many times where I have been done casting something and they go on to shoot and I'm like oh I feel like a hole is missing in my heart like because I talk to you all the time and you put so much of yourself in it and then it's literally like the last deal is done and you're done you're cut off no more (laughs) no more information nothing (laughs) yeah it's like you need a little bit of a therapy session at the end either you go in recovery mode or celebration one of the two yeah yeah and I mean right now it's kind of funny because like so I have a music biopic that's been in the works for about three years now thanks COVID it's been a slog because when I first came on it was an indie so we fully cast the indie and we had the two producers on it and then we had a little bit break when COVID first hit. And then when that happened, they set it up at a studio. So the studio came back and said, well, we want movie star names. We don't want indie names. So we ended up having to go back and recast it. So literally, I will say at least, at least for the last 14 months, and we're like pretty much in May right now, this one producer who is an Oscar-winning producer, is an amazing producer, has been around the block forever. And I adore him, calls me every day, like every day. And we're not even actively casting. It is consulting. And he loves to chat. He's not a texter. And so we'll like talk about his grandchildren and, you know, all this stuff. And so we finally got to a point where I would say for like the first year of that, we had a director attached, but not involved. And so it was him and I, and it was like so much, he would come to me for every cast and we would talk through every little point. We would talk about the script, about the director. Like we were trying to find out what, we needed to either alter or fix or push as like a selling point to actors to get somebody attached. And I mean, it got to the point where it's kind of a joke amongst my friends because everyone sees his name pop up on my phone and they'll be like, oh, go ahead, Jed. You got to talk to, it's your daily call. You know, because <laughs> every day he calls. We just brought on a new director who's a bit more involved and more a bit more excited about the project. And they were doing a rewrite on the script. So he called me, he's like, okay, we're going to not make any more offers while we do this like script rework. And I didn't hear from him for like two and a half, three weeks. And I was like, I feel like I like I feel messy. Like, I was like as much as sometimes I get annoyed by those daily phone calls, I was like, I, I'm like, is something going on? Is something wrong? Why is it he called me? Even though I know they're rewriting the script. So I did. I called him one time and he was like, Hi, Jen. And he's like, what's up? And I was like, I don't know. I just we don't talk every day anymore. Do you not like me anymore? And he's like, no, we're rewriting the script. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, the little things. But you did hit on something I do want to talk about because I think people don't realize what a role we play in sort of the packaging element of like really strategizing when we make offers. Like that's the thing when a project comes to me, I can't sign on to it unless I am all in because 
I have to be able to sell it to agents and managers, right? That idea that we have to then create a pitch on behalf of our filmmakers, on behalf of the film, on, you know, so many elements to it and really strategize what's the best way to put this project out in the world so that we can get the most bites. And I feel like nobody knows that we do that. Like we do it on both ends. We do it when we're going out with the project and then we do it when we're bringing actors into the project. So if it's, you know, watching auditions and demo reels and stuff like that, and like I've I've recut demo reels just to make sure it spotlights the actor in the right way. We're the buyer and the seller all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, and I think like, especially in in packaging and or like the indie side of things, when you're trying to attach names, we get jobs based off of the lists we create to take into the producer and or director. And so I think that that's like the first selling point that we're like selling ourselves on like, here, we got good taste in actors and here's why we like these actors for these roles. And then once we get into the process of it, because there's always the same questions we get from agents when we make offers, is it financed? Who's directing and who's producing? And it's like, and anyone else attached, I should say that. But like usually if it's a lead, it's a lead, you know, no one else is attached at the point. So I always find it like, I do the same thing. I'll sit there and go through and be like, what can we sell this off of? Because again, even if it's just a script that I love, I personally have gotten lucky enough to work with a lot of first time female writers and directors, which I love. But it's a hard sell when you have somebody who hasn't done anything before. You can't base it off that. So hopefully you either have a producer with a really good track record and or, you know, the script too can speak for itself if it's a really amazing script. And so I always am like trying to figure out what is the selling point. And then in some cases, if you, because I feel like very passionate about some of my scripts, but you get like 10 passes and it mentally screws with producers' minds, I think, because they're like, well, what's wrong? If you get this many passes, something has to be wrong. And it can be how much money you're offering, how much that you're just offering to like the wrong actors at the wrong time. Maybe they're, you know, going through something personal or have too much on their plate that they can't even read it. I think that trying to sell it on both ends of like, okay, producer, here's why I love this person. He or she is amazing. And then going back and going to the agent and being like, now here's why, okay, I've gotten this approved. Give your actor this offer. Now let me sell it to you as to why your client should do this. It's a very unique process because I feel like there are so many elements by the time somebody on our creative team decides that, yes, okay, go for it. There's so many things that have had to happen. They've had to take that name and, you know, put it up the flagpole and see, does that person have the the kind of value that they're looking for? Do they tick the boxes that they need for the sake of financing? There's there's like that aspect of it. And then the creative aspect, does the director see it? You know, I mean, I'm sure you work in the same capacity of when you're sort of going through the list, you have a sense of who's interested in what. Is someone known for being sort of more financially focused versus material driven? Does the actor actively look at independent film? Are they willing Are they willing to take chances on up and coming filmmakers? So those are all elements that we have to be aware of when we're going through our process. And then once we sort of narrow things down to like the top five, 10 actors that they're creatively inspired by, then you have to have the reality check conversations. Then, you know, run it up through the agency side and see, is this actually worth pursuing? Not just on the producer side, I feel like there's a level of rejection you feel, but after like 
10 passes, I start to feel the rejection too of like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, it kind of touches back on one of our past podcasts where like actors always want feedback. When we get passes, the one question I always get from my producers is, well, why? Can you find out why they didn't like it? Was it script? Was it the director? Was it me? Is it you? Like, you know, like, what is it? Is it the character? And it's like right now trying to get feedback up to why somebody passed because the most common response, I hope you agree with me, is they just didn't connect to the character. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes it's just like, he's going to respectfully pass on this with no explanation. And it's so hard sometimes right now because so many of my producers are like, but I need to know why so I can fix it. Because at this point, and again, then it kind of goes, it falls back on us and our relationships with the agent and managers. Because if it's somebody you're close with, you can say, hey, off the record, can you tell me why? Like, what is actually, did they, was it really the character? Was it something, you know, is it the director? They just looked at his old work and they don't like it. You know, things like that. And it's a lot of legwork on our part because producers sometimes don't understand that, like, if somebody told me, hey, Jen, they're passing on this because they don't like X, Y, Z, you know, the the script, then I can at least go back and say that. But when we just get, oh, they didn't connect or this one isn't for them, a respectful pass, it's like, I think it just starts to twist in producers' minds, like, wait, and even our minds of like, why are we getting so many passes? There has to be something wrong at this point to not even get it to, because some... I mean, a lot of times, like after we offer it, at least maybe some people will have a conversation with the director or the producer to see if they can come to a creative understanding, or maybe they saw something they liked in the script, but there was something they they bumped on and they just want to have a further conversation to see if they were open to changing it, whatever. But when you get just like 10 no's in a row, I mean, that's really hard to like then not look inward and be like, something is wrong. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a really hard process. And that's why indie filmmaking takes so long. I'm always fascinated about sort of the accolades that are given in the casting community of like the studio films and and that sort of thing, because it's, you know, when you have a studio behind a project, you have a, a budget, like a significant budget. Usually the director is the draw, I would imagine on top of it being a studio project and their money being behind it, you know, it is less of a struggle, I will say, than indie filmmaking. And like, I was just telling you, I'm on an indie right now that I've been on for almost a year now. And it's pushed several times because we haven't been able to attach cast. And it's been a process. And I get my fee negotiated based on whatever the original time frame was. And the hope is we always tried to account for an extension in our fees. But I mean, most of the time it just doesn't happen. So the people that build the reputation on their the kind of projects that they are attracted to as casting directors, I think that speaks a lot to representation to the actors. And then in turn, you know, you hope that you're able to continue creating these great projects. But it's it's one of those things. And I think in, we talked about it in our previous episode. It's a really difficult time right now because it's hard to get people to read scripts, even if you have a reputation for working with really talented filmmakers, you know, on, on really incredible scripts. And so if an indie gets made at the end of the day and it gets into a festival, that casting director should be celebrated to the nth degree. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny. It's like you kind of touched on it there where you're like, we get one fee. Usually it's based on a time period or amount of roles cast or something like that. And it is kind of funny because I do have some newer casting director friends who will do consulting for free. And it drives me insane 
or they'll do it for a small fee and won't put in a casting contract in place for it. So then it can, they can like get the leads attached and then these producers can walk off and take it to a different casting director if they want. And I've been fighting against it so much because I'm like, stop doing this. <laughs> You're hurting our whole profession by doing it. But sometimes like these indies, and I mean, I know COVID was a unique case, but there is the case where sometimes you can be on these indies for a year, two years. I have one that is a phenomenal script, great director, but she's a first timer, but we have an amazing producer behind it and, and a production company. And we had four people cast all known to the world and they still wouldn't green light it. So I was on this thing for two and a half years fighting tooth and nail, like, and I got one fee. I'm hoping eventually that'll change a little bit of like, money's always an uncomfortable conversation, especially with producers. But even if I like put my agent on it and I'm like, hey, can you call them and just say, hey, it's been a year. You gave her a couple grand last year. Can't we just like get her something else? Because it's like all these offers take like time and effort. I mean, somebody, a producer recently told me on a very small budget film I'm doing, he's like, well, can't you just throw that offer out? Like, it's just like a two minute deal. And I'm like, this takes like three days to orchestrate. I'm sorry. Like, I can't just throw this out on a Thursday, but on a holiday weekend, you know, and get it out there. And then sometimes there's an unrealistic expectation on actors to read over like a weekend or, you know, and they're like, but it's a weekend. And I'm like, yeah, but they're shooting a project. They're probably method, you know, like they should get their weekends too, you know? <laughs> they have lives. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's always funny because I never thought I was going to have to like speak to having a personal life so much for people or act it, you know? Because <laughs> so many times people are like, well, why didn't they read it? Why didn't they do this? And I'm sitting there going, I'll like go on Instagram. And it's like, if it's like a big movie star or something and I have a producer being like, why? It's been two weeks. Why hasn't he read it? And I'll be like, well, he's on vacation with his three children in Thailand. Like, I mean, if I were on vacation in Thailand, I wouldn't read it, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you're trying to like, and I think sometimes it comes off as like, we're trying to excuse actors for not reading in a certain time or whatever. But I also think, especially with the bigger names you get, the more they have going on, they have press events. And I remember like, this is a great story. I went out to a uh, Miles Teller for a movie three days before Top Gun came out. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it wasn't my fault. I, I kept telling them for the whole month of May last year, I was like, please, 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 can we put this out? Like he has this movie coming out. And again, nobody knew how it was going to do because that was really like the big test of like, were people going to actually go back into theaters? And so, but I kept saying, let's try to get him this offer before he goes. And then of course, three days before they're like, go ahead, Jen, send it. Like, because it get all excited. Like this is going to, and I'm like, great, awesome. It's a holiday weekend and his movie comes out. And then it blows up into the number one movie in the world. I'm seeing Miles at like every film festival every Grand Prix, like any PR event he can possibly go to. And I had one producer who was like, this is his job to read it. Like, why has he, like after two weeks? And I was like, I, I'm sitting here having to defend him and be like, if I had the number one movie in the world, I would be out partying, man. <laughs> I'm not going to be sitting here being like, what script, you know, I'm going to sit and read my scripts 12 hours a day on my two to three days. And also PR trips are really very draining, I think, for actors. So I'm like, give him some great. And it, it took him a while to get back to us. And he ultimately passed on our film. But our one producer, who's a bit less experienced, was so livid that it took him so long. And I was like, what do you expect? Like Top Gun is everywhere right now. All the cast members are out promoting it, doing everything they can. And I kind of had to validate it. Like, well, if this was our movie, wouldn't you want him doing that for you? Like, I just think sometimes producers 
as well-intentioned as they are, because I do understand it's their movie. They're usually the ones with the financial pressure coming from investors or the studio or something being like, you got to get this done. You got to get this made. So I know they feel all that pressure. And sometimes it then tractions onto us, but it is sometimes hard, especially when you're going after a certain caliber of actor to manage expectations. <laughs> I th- But that's the thing. I mean, I think you did an excellent job. They were just sort of unrealistic, but like, that's most of our job is managing expectations, you know, and having those conversations with agents and managers being like, is this realistic? Will they open it? If I give them an offer with this amount of money, how long before I send an offer out? I'll ask like, are they a quick read? Do they turn it around? You know, it's all about anticipating the questions before they come and having sort of an arsenal of answers. It's a multitude of responsibility, especially these tinier movies that are not studio supported. But also I was just super jazzed to hear that this biopic, that it went to a studio and you got to stay on because I feel like that's a rarity. Honestly, it's a different producer than I just talked about before, but he has been by my side. Like he has been so good about being like, I'm sticking with you and I've been through the trenches of COVID, recasting this already once, almost twice. And like, Again, he's been very good to me in the sense of like, because on this one, we had a director for a while who was very not in it. So he leaned on me. Like he was just like, again, we'd have these hour long conversations and I would have already convinced him XYZ actor was right for it. And he'll be like, I just need to hear it again, Jen. Like he need, you know, walk me through this again. Do we think, and it is kind of what you're saying. It's like kind of, they want us to be fortune tellers of like, well, I want to know, like, we're going to have a shot with this guy. And so we go through all this. And the fact that I got set up at a studio, and to be fair, the studio that it's at currently was in a little bit of trouble for a while. So I don't think they were like super on it in terms of like, who was on your crew, you know? <laughs> but the fact that I did get to stay on it was a big deal. And I appreciate that for him because he fought for it because he said like Jen has been step by step with me on this process. So he's been great that way. That's awesome. I just had two projects right now that they're it's from the same producers and they're trying to package. And so I came on to help attach their leads for each project. It's for a limited series situation. They were doing my deal and my agent, he sent me the deal memo with the rate and we negotiated, we, we got to the rate, we got to the time frame. I noticed at the very bottom of the deal memo, because I asked, I said, in order to do this, I need first right of refusal. I'm not going to like just not have it for the series. And so they put it in the thing, in the deal memo, but it said like with distributors approval. And I was like, no, no, no. That's not okay. And so I had my agent go back and say, we need to strike this from the agreement. And then they came back with a revised version saying with distributors approval with like the best efforts or something like that by the producers to make this happen. I had asked my agent really, like, it's not acceptable. If I'm, this this is where I get screwed. If I say this is okay, I'm going to lose the project. Just assume that I'm going to lose this project. I asked, you know, what can we do? And he said, you have to just be willing to walk away. Thankfully, the project came from an old contact, a friend from from a previous life. And so I said, okay, I, you know, I'm not in a position to walk away from a job right now, but I have to do this for the sake of the integrity of what I'm trying to accomplish. And so I said, do it nicely, though. And so he did it and, and they struck it from the deal. So proud of you, Jess. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Because so many people, I mean, I feel like that, we've touched on this before, but that's when casting directors walk away because they, they fear losing the job. 
So they're unwilling to push to secure their positions. And again, I have a friend of mine who I know won't care if I tell this story, but like he came onto this movie that I actually knew about. I've worked with the producer before and he had talked to me about it. And I said, be careful of this one. He's a bit iffy. Like he tries to get away with shit. And so I said, make sure you have a deal in place and make sure that like a consulting deal and then also a casting deal tied to it. So that if you get the movie finance off your list and your work, you then get the movie. And he was like, okay, Jen, okay. Well, then he kind of lied to me and he only got a consulting deal. He did never, he never tied it because this producer told him, which he had tried to do with me at one point. He was like, oh yeah, you have my word. Will you, if you get a cast and we get this finance, of course you'll be our casting director. And it's one of those things where, again, it's a very awkward conversation because you're like, well, you can't be rude because you're working with you. You know, you're then working together and you don't want it to be like, well, I don't believe you. I need it in writing. I need a contract. So what happened was he worked for probably, and he did not get a consulting fee. He was like, I'll do it for free. <laughs> yeah. Based off this agreement. So he gave lists, made offers, whatever. Cut two, they get their two leads cast, get it financed. He did not even get a meeting with the director. And so somebody who I won't say who got ended up getting on, but he, they took all his work and went to somebody else and he was livid. And I was like, you have every right to be upset. However, this is why we put consulting deals with active casting deals together. <laughs> like yeah. it has to be a first right of refusal issue because we have to protect ourselves. And we also, I feel like have to put into effect like a consulting issue because sometimes producers will try to get away with saying like, we'll pay you a few thousand dollars to consult. But then again, there's no time. So you could be consulting on this thing for 10 years for probably a cent a day if you break it down at the end of the day. And so it's like, well, what's the point of that? Like we work so hard and pull all our relationships for something when you're not even willing to like then give you first right of refusal. Like that seems crazy to me. Yes. If there are any young casting directors listening to our podcast, what I've started to do, I don't even separate the consulting. I create a step deal. Like it's the full fee on the film and it's just contingent if it gets greenlit. So the first phase is consulting phase with X amount of dollars, but the entirety, like the project itself, I have a, an end date. I have a track record of not abandoning a project, but it protects me at the end of the day. You know, if anyone's listening who is having trouble negotiating their contracts, think about it. Say, drop us a DM. We'll encourage you. (laughs) We're happy. I think that's the thing that we all like. We're trying to have the future of casting have more pay transparency and having an open door of communicating with other casting directors to get guidance. So, yeah, we're here for you. If you need it, we're here. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to my wine of the week last week because it was literally if I didn't have a relationship with this other casting director, I would have never found out I was being mispaid. If we could just call each other up and say, hey, how much did you get paid on this? Or like, is this pretty? I saw you worked with this producer. How did he treat you on this? I think it'd be amazing because there is something where, again, if a producer wanted to go hire somebody else, you know, I would, and I loved working with them. I would always be like, oh, he treated me fairly. He treated, you know, his deal process was great. Like he understood. Because again, it's at the end of the day, it's a negotiation. So, I mean, they're still trying to save money. So I respect that. I respect that of the process. But I also, my biggest phrase I tell people, especially in the casting world, is I was like, know your value. Like your time has value. Your knowledge is valuable. Like stop giving it away for free because not only are you hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody else in our casting industry. 
because they know they can go to somebody else and they'll do it for free because they're desperate or they just don't know better. I will say there is an agent out there who reps a casting director. I won't, I won't name them, but he recently, and I don't know how many times skits happen in the States. He recently got a play or pay deal for a casting director on a film. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, like no matter what, whether it goes or not, she's getting her whole fee. It's set in stone. And I was like, I literally was just like in awe when I found this out. And I was like, um, can you be everyone's agent? <laughs> because I mean, you got this and now it's a standard, you know, like for this person, it's a standard. He can now go in future deals and say, hey, well, they got it on this one. So you have to match it. And most of the time, if they know that, then they're kind of backed into a corner and they're like, okay, we have to give this. And if we could make casting directors pay or play, that'd be huge. Like that's a game changer. Yeah, that's amazing. But I don't think people understand. Like, again, it's just pulling down this curtain of like, because I do think sometimes people think it's as easy as calling CAA and being like, hey, does, you know, Anna Taylor-Joy want to do this? And here's the offer. Great, we're done. She's in. That's what they think it is. And it's like, no. <laughs> That's why I always find it funny, especially when you see like actors on late night TV where they're like, well, I was offered this, but I turned it down or this or that. You know, like there's all these stories about how they pass or sliding door situations. Half the time I'm like, but that may have happened. You may have passed. However, your agent could have like slipped it in for somebody else or like push somebody else because they knew you would never do it. Things like that. And it's like, and then we had to get our whole team on board to get this actress in or it's so much legwork and so much uh, fortune telling that we, cause we have to know what every actor wants to do, how much they cost. Like every time I do a deal, the, the majority of the time, the producer is like, what should we offer them? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I have to know how much they get paid. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, now we're sort of, this is a, a unique environment right now because as of a few years ago in LA and New York, you can't ask for quotes anymore. It's either like, the agent makes up some beautiful number for them and we have no understanding if it's real or not. Because before in a world when we were casting at least TV for sure, we would ask the agent for a quote and then we would go before the actor would test, we would have to confirm the quote with the studio and the network. So we knew legitimately that this person got paid. We can't do that anymore. I've seen two versions of this where the studio will then ultra lowball the actor or the agent will be like they made a bajillion dollars on the last thing try to match it yeah or they do this thing where it's like they have an indie that did really well and now this is like the new it guy or it girl then they're like they probably made scale or something crazy they're like 20 grand but now that because they're in this like new strap they're like only a million it's million plus, you know? And you're like, but really, like they did one movie and did well. Like how can we bang our, and that's where a really good relationship with your producer helps because it's something where it's a back and forth because sometimes a producer's like, well, they did just star in this like Oscar winning, you know, movie. It's their first credit. So should we offer 500,000, 600, 2 million? And you kind of come to this agreement because I mean, I love a good negotiation. I love a good fight. I'm a huge fan of it. I don't mind it. So I'm always like, let's save money, but also like be fair to the actor. And so I, you know, I have one producer at the moment who loves to go high. He's like, they're worth it. And I'm like, but let's remember what the budget of our movie is. <laughs> you know? 
Like that's I'm at the end of the day, really. Exactly. I think sometimes because we're on so early in the movie, there is all this money. You have the whole budget. And so you're thinking, well, yeah, I could pay a little bit more because I'll pull it from something else. But then, you know, six months down the road when you're halfway into shooting and you're out of money, you're just like, well, shit, I wish I had that 100000 you know, right now to get a cool visual effects thing or something like that. Or to pay for post. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like we have these conversations because then it also falls on us to know what's not insulting because I've had offers go out where the agents are like, that's insulting, Jen. No, absolutely not. And it's then you know it's not even going further than that one day. And again, kind of going back to something we talked about earlier is when people pass, like bigger names pass on things, sometimes it can be the money. And so it's like, then we have to go have that conversation with the agent and say, well, if we up it $200,000 or 50,000, how, whatever your budget is, would that help? Because I've had on like very small movies where it was like maybe under 2 million. I've had agents be like, if you just come up like five grand, they'll probably do it. Just so you know, like at this, they're not going to scale, but if you can bump it up to double scale or give an extra five, 10 grand, they'll probably do it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's again, then you have to go back to your producer and say, that's up to you, man. That's your budget. I know what I was told of is our budget. So it's up to you whether or not you want to try to find that extra money somewhere to get this person. And what it's worth to you at the end of the day when it's like, is it the marquee name or is, you know, whatever it is going to be. It's an interesting space to work in for sure. And I think it's like the Wild West, you know, and anything goes, if you can make it happen, if you can make it work, we'll figure it out. And I think it's you know a big part of that is like, is the actor really interested in the material? Are they super passionate about it? Do we make them an executive producer on the film or the show or, you know, whatever? How creative can we get to get somebody hooked in? Yeah. And I actually had that happen on a movie during COVID. The lowest budget I think I've ever done is $300,000 film, which is like bare bones. And again, I like to be an honest casting. It's funny because I think sometimes agents think I'm lying for some reason, because I'll say, here's what we have. This is how much money you like. I'll put it on the breakdown, on the appointments. I'll be like, we have scale. We have this, you know, we have X amount of money. That's it. But then they always come back and try to negotiate more. And I'm like, I wasn't lying. That's why I put it out there. (laughs) Like if I could negotiate, I probably wouldn't be putting the money on these things. But we had this really great script from a really young director and, but a good producer and company behind it and stuff. And again, it was, co- we were kind of just coming out of COVID. So I don't know if you experienced this or not, like probably, I want to say like May of 2021 ish, where we are coming, things were starting to get made and like every actor wanted to work. And I was shocked for a $300,000 film, the names that were being pitched to me. I was, and I kept being like, you guys, you guys know it's scale, right? <laughs> These people are not like you, the majority of the time, because I know these actors for so long, they're not going to do it for scale. And they're like, no, 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 they'll do it. They just want to work because it's been two years of not working. They'll do it. And it's a great script. So yes, please put them up for it. And so we had this kid who ended up being the lead of the film, who is on a very well-known Showtime series. But he said, he's like, I want to learn how to produce because he, I think he's in his early twenties, but he's had this huge career already. And he's like, I know that whether I act or not, I want to be in the producer space. And so they came back and they said, he'll do it if you let him be an active, how do we say it? An active producer with no creative approval. So he couldn't like nix our ideas. He couldn't say no to that costume or so he couldn't like creatively nix anything, but he wanted to be on the phone calls. He wanted to like listen to the processes. He wanted to be on the tech scouts so that he could learn how to be a producer. And so we ended up getting this really great, well-known name for scale because we let him learn. 
I love that. That's really cool. Man, I feel like we could talk about this all day. I am excited. So in the coming weeks, we have some really cool producers coming on board. I'm really excited for the coming weeks to be able to share more light on that relationship and the experience that is part of it, you know? Yeah. Same. I think it's going to be really fun to kind of hear all these different perspectives. And I think while I work with showrunners, I don't, I've never like actually worked in their office because producers, we have such a hands-on relationship with that sometimes showrunners, they're there and we have to get approval and we chat to them, but we don't have like as much of a comprehensive relationship with them. Um, I hope you all tune in in the coming weeks and enjoy the conversation that is is going to be. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.